Thanks for joining us. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Great show planned for you today. In a second, we're going to take a look at the week in review. We ask you to know the difference. In a little while, you'll be able to hear the difference. How do you do that? It's a story from Annex clients about their experience with Annex and preparing for retirement. You'll want to pay attention to that. Like I said, lots of team segments ahead of us here today. So we're going to start off with our weekend review. I'm Mark Beck, Chief Growth Officer at Annex Wealth Management, and I'm joined right now by Derek Felsky. He's our Chief Investment Officer. Hi, Derek. How are you today? I'm great, Mark. So, Derek, you know, a couple of uh, market moving items from the past week that I think we should basically see start off with, first of all, Fed Open Market Committee meetings, and then second of all, on Friday, another indicator of persistently hot inflation. Well, on the FOMC minutes, um, they didn't really review much of anything new, but the market did react and is now giving a 50% probability of a third rate hike in June. That's a change, because remember, uh, up to a couple of weeks ago, and Dave and I have mentioned any number of times, we did not believe the Fed was going to cut rates in 2023. That likelihood has diminished dramatically. In fact, the markets do not expect any rate cuts in 2023. Yeah, and that's the direction that we're trying to gauge, right? So magnitude, rapidity, so the speed at which they raised rates and then for how long, all of that really with an eye towards where is the terminal rate? So how high will the rates go? Because we can, from that point, then start to extrapolate a valuation metric, determine you know how that's going to impact the multiples that the market is willing to apply. Right. And, you know, a lot of what we've seen recently is a result of the January economic strength. I mean, those of us that live in Wisconsin, you know, know that January was unseasonably warm. We had very little snowfall. That certainly helped retail sales. We also know people that get Social Security checks saw an 8.7% bump up. That's 70 million people. That's a lot of folks. And then finally, the level of positioning. People were very negative on stocks at the beginning of the year, very negative on technology and and high multiple companies, and those have roared. I mean, Tesla's almost doubled uh, year-to-date. Any number of other companies like NVIDIA, which reported a great quarter this week, have, have gone up significantly. So it really goes to the point of balancing your portfolio. You don't want to be all in or all out. You want to be kind of balanced when you're sort of neutral on the markets, which essentially is how we've been on the equity market thus far. And I think you can translate that also to you don't want to be all growth or all value. You know, we've seen certainly periods that have been really driven by the mega caps, especially, you know, heavy growth names. Um, But that really, you know, has changed recently. And we've been adjusting accordingly within our client portfolios. We have. We've tilted more towards small caps, more of a value tilt, looking at free cash flow yield as a key factor in in valuing companies because companies that produce free cash flow are able to withstand an economic slowdown. They can raise dividend, they can buy back shares, they can do acquisitions, they can fund future growth. So companies that generate cash, not earnings, cash, are king. Well, you can translate that also to a review of balance sheet, right? So when we have rates going up and companies are going to have to start to refinance, especially their short-term debt, and they do that now at much higher short-term rates than we had 18 months ago, and that will impact that cash flow. So you're looking also for strength of balance sheet. Well, that's that's true. I mean, inevitably, you know, we look at other measures of valuation, price to sales multiples, PEs, price to book. It really varies by sector. And, you know, we have a very sophisticated quantitative model that we refer to that basically is optimized per sector 
factors. So we're looking at the variables that the market tends to pay attention to regardless of, you know, so we don't compare a software company to an energy company, for example. Well, talk about that a little bit in terms of inside versus outside the U.S., so international markets and some of the things you've been seeing in terms of potential for economic growth and also valuations between the two. Right. The, the valuations are very attractive overseas. You know, many people thought Europe would go into a recession, but natural gas prices are down 75% from their highs. So Europe was able to weather the storm of the Russian invasion. Uh, they outsourced a lot of their natural gas supplies from other sources. Uh, they were lucky and got a warm winter. And now they're less dependent on Russia than ever before. So the valuations there are very attractive. And we're actually starting to see better relative earnings growth overseas than we are in the United States. Because remember, the United States was seen as an oasis. But as a result of that, the markets here didn't really correct as much. Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer, Annex Wealth Management. I'm Mark Beck, Chief Growth Officer. Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. In the meantime, AnnexWealth.com. That's a spot to go check out more information about us. There's a Get Started button there if it's time for a second opinion on your investment portfolio. Make sure your plan is on track. You're headed the right direction for 2023. That's AnnexWealth.com. We'll be right back. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. We're back. Website, AnnexWealth.com. You'll find the Get Started button there. I'm Mark Beck, Chief Growth Officer at Annex Wealth Management. Derek Felsky is our Chief Investment Officer. Derek, right before the break, we were talking a little bit about attractiveness outside the U.S. Why might investors now be starting to look at areas like emerging markets as an example? Well, they're going to start looking there because basically they're not there. You know, if you have a benchmark that includes international equities, my guess is the vast majority of RIAs are underweight overseas because it's been a very frustrating space. What they'll say is, oh, they just own U.S. companies that sell a lot overseas, so they have an international weighting. But the other key element with international investing is the currency. And while the dollar was running up, that hampered the returns of overseas investments, right? Because they're priced in local currency, a stronger dollar, weaker currency, weaker results. That seems to have flipped. Now, the dollar has bounced significantly in the last couple of weeks, which is part of the reason I believe the markets have sold off. But when you look at valuation and the correlation advantages of having some non-dollar exposure, uh, that helps your risk-adjusted returns on a balanced portfolio basis. So what would be the forces that you think are going to impact the direction of the dollar? It's still strong through 2022 and potentially weakening throughout this year. Well, economic growth is a key one. Interest rate differentials are a key one. inflationary expectations that are built in respective yield curves is a key one. It's really a panoply of things. I mean, it's not just one thing. And that's why many foreign investors do not bother to hedge currency because they feel like at the end of the day, it's a wash. They're not currency investors. They're stock pickers, and they let the market figure out what the currency ought to be. And I think we got to talk a little bit about alternatives also, the opportunity to put money to work in short-term or cash-like instruments. Right now, we're seeing one-year treasury bonds that are extremely attractive on a short-term basis, and you're going to definitely have competition for allocation of capital. Right. For the longest time, it was Tina FOMO. There is no alternative in the fear of missing out, but but fixed income is actually very attractive. The one-year treasury is now yielding 5.15%, the highest yield in 15 years, and that that can compares to a a level below 1% just a year ago. So fixed income, you know, the the, the repression of returns to senior citizens from weak fixed income markets has shifted, and now they really can earn a decent return, even on an inflation-adjusted basis currently. And that's making it more difficult for stocks, because if if this kind of volatility that we've been seeing this year, we've had 37 days plus or minus 1%, if that unnerves people, they can sit in 5.15 for a year and just wait till the skies are less cloudy. 
But at the same time, and they've got this flashing caution sign, which is the inverted yield curve. And I wondered to what degree these elevated rates of very short-term uh, instruments, you know, how that might be playing itself out as we see the yield curve. It either has to correct itself or it is definitely flashing the warning of a recession. Well, historically, it, ha- it has presaged a recession basically in every case, but with a variety of different lag times, six to 18 months. So you could be right that that inverted yield curve is going to lead to a recession, but it might not happen until 2024. And if it doesn't, stocks are reasonably priced. And we're in a situation where that lag time is incredibly hard to determine because the unprecedented nature of the speed at which the Fed has raised rates. We've never seen them have to raise rates so rapidly before. Right. And, and you know, we're, we're constantly barraged with news. And the key point, you know, as an investment committee is we try to filter the noise and focus on trends and underlying fundamentals. It's the reason John Templeton moved to the Bahamas. He's one of the legendary international investors. He didn't want to hear what Wall Street had to say. In fact, he wouldn't read the Wall Street Journal until it was a week old. It's interesting. Um, let's talk about some of the you know information that we glean out of earnings calls and where you've been seeing some guidance. Are we seeing you know improved guidance for earnings in, uh, in the S and P five hundred or you know what's the dynamic there? Well, the dynamic on the S and P five hundred is certainly weaker, slower growth, more more downward guidance. Uh, the surprises were roughly about normal, but not in terms of earnings expectations. So there was some much more negative guidance. What's interesting is small caps actually are seeing an uptick in positive guidance. And that's one of the reasons why, as a committee, we felt that small caps offered a rare opportunity because they're so cheap relative to large caps. And again, when you take those 10 big names out of the S&P 500, the S&P 500 is only trading about 14 times earnings. You know, argues for the diversified portfolio for sure. So that's Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer at Annex Wealth Management. I'm Mark Beck, Chief Growth Officer. Up next, we've got a couple that shares their experience with Annex Wealth Management. That's Hear the Difference. In the meantime, AnnexWealth.com. Bounce over there. Check out more information about us, AnnexWealth.com. We'll be right back. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show for Saturday, February 25th, 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? This segment is so you can hear the difference. From time to time, we invite clients to share their experience with Annex, and hopefully as you hear them, you're going to notice that every single case is different because our clients' situations are different. It's not one size fits all. Let's welcome John and Valerie. Hey, Valerie. Hello. And hey, John. Hello. Let's get the official stuff out of the way. You are clients of Annex Wealth Management. Yes. Yes. Annex is not providing any type of compensation for your time on this segment. Correct. Does the watering count toward the water? No. Okay. <laughs> no, the water is complimentary. <laughs> no, I didn't. And there are no conflicts of interest between you as a client and Annex as a firm. Right. Correct. Now, in your case, John and Valerie, you are still at the daily grind, still working, but planning for retirement with an eye on retiring somewhat sooner than later. Sooner for you. Sooner for me, yes. I hope to retire in the next couple of years if want to cut the cord and enjoy life afterwards. Great. And then, Valerie, how about you? Um, I think it's going to be a few more years after John. We'll let him get used to retirement. John, you're at a major university working as an administrator. And before that, you had a long career with the American Cancer Society. What was it that stirred within you that made you feel an early retirement was what you wanted to do? Mm-hmm. My dad uh, died four months after he retired. And when you work your whole life and have nothing to show for it as far as enjoying it, that had a, a major impact on me that I wanted to work and plan so I could have a life after work. As much as I enjoy my work, I want something more. 
As you get older, you start seeing your vulnerability, and so you start thinking about it more. And at the um, point that I'd been in the workforce for 30 years, at some point you have to plan for the life afterwards. And then I started thinking how my dad got to a point that he never got to enjoy that. I really started zeroing in on just, are we ready for it? Can we be ready for it? So I would say probably in my 50s, I really started to put a lot of thought and process toward how are we going to be ready to do that. How about you, Valerie? You actually were in the finance world before following your heart, and you made a career switch. What was that story? Well, after working about 16 years in the financial services field, I had the opportunity to get into education, which is something that I had thought I wanted to do when I was in college. And I saw how hard my parents worked as educators, and I thought, maybe I don't want to be an educator. And then when I did have the opportunity, when I was a little bit more mature, I made the right decision because I really love teaching. And talk about a lifetime learner. You're pursuing another degree. Uh, that's correct. I'm really close to earning my master's in um, mathematics for secondary teachers. John, it sounds like you did a fair amount of research when selecting a partner for investment and retirement planning. What was your process? When we had our original financial planner, it was very evident that it was transaction-based, that there was a, a value for them to, to sell something to us, and then they perceived it as a benefit for us. When I got to the point that I felt like we weren't in a situation of being part of the team, being part of the discussion, I felt it was time to research it because I know what I don't know, and I don't know financial planning well enough to be confident enough to set ourselves up for it. So. I tend to do a lot more of the research in that kind of area. I think my wife would agree. With that said, I researched about three or four different financial planners and locked them very quickly on fiduciary. I had interviews with two of the ones that I think aligned best with us. And real quickly, the amount of time and attention given to me by Annex Wealth Management made it real easy to go with them. What's it like when that moment arrives when it's you kind of know that you could retire? Yeah, it was pretty exciting. I mean, it was a conversation that our financial planner had a number of times with us that I said, I want to retire by 55 and have enough money to enjoy life with it. He went over the numbers and said, you're right on track. And I tell you what, that was very liberating to know that we were set to do what we wanted to do. This stuff can be complex without a team. You went through that portfolio analysis, mm -hmm. the financial plan. Have you ventured into tax and estate planning with Annex? Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, we do our tax planning with Annex. We found that marvelous because just about six months ago, we needed to research some funds for an investment that we want to do on some property, and we needed to understand the impact of our taxes. Well, instead of having two different institutions try to talk and understand each other, we had the tax planner and our financial planner together in the same room that went over the work, understood the impact, and what we could do. The great thing about that is it wouldn't affect our taxes, and it didn't affect our financial plan either. This is a Hear the Difference segment of conversation with some clients of Annex Wealth Management who are sharing their journey. Valerie, from what I understand, John is going to hang it up a little sooner than you. How is he going to be in retirement? I think that John will be a little bit stir-crazy at first to try to figure out how to fill his days, although he has many activities that he's involved in. So with between running and taking care of some investment property and looking at other investment property, I think he'll fill the days pretty well, although I'm hoping that he'll maybe take some cooking classes <laughs> and have some meals prepped for me when I come home from school. <laughs> Amen. John, how about Valerie when she eventually joins you? How do you guys, how do you see retirement as a couple? Yeah. Well, one of the biggest things that we talked about for our future is that we've never been able to travel as much as I think we both want to. And so that would be a big part of our, our retirement. In our planning, 
we made sure that there was a significant amount of funds to be able to do that. And so part of our plan is to make sure that um, the money is there to do the things that we wanted to retire and probably take a cooking class. <laughs> in Italy. In um, Italy. Yeah, Perfect. Yes. John, you recommended Annex to several friends, and yeah. we appreciate that. Yeah. Do you find some of your peers might struggle to make decisions about financial planning? You know, it's so funny because Valerie and I both, in conversations with friends who are all the same age and looking to retirement, you know, we talk about what we're all doing for planning. And we've had some friends, and they're still friends, that have kind of struggled with trying to figure out, are they ready to do it? And in doing so, we just told them, hey, we've got this great partnership with Annex. They've done a great job and suggested them. And in both situations, they've worked with Annex. They're both right on track for their retirement plans. They didn't know that beforehand. And so I think they have that same kind of liberating feeling to know that, hey, we're where we need to be. Valerie and John, it is a pleasure talking with you on your way to retirement on your terms. Thank you for being clients and best of you in the days and years ahead. Thank you. Thank you, Danny. Hey, real quick, let me mention locations because we got a bunch. Elm Grove, Lake Country, Mequon, Appleton, downtown Milwaukee, right inside the Fister, Madison, Naples, Florida, Libertyville, Illinois, or as close as your computer at AnnexWealth.com. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Saturday, February 25th, bottom of the hour. Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Back with Ask Annex. Got a question for us? Please go to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Look for the Ask tab. And as always, if we can help, click that Get Started button in the studio. Sarah Kyle, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. Hi, Danny. Matt Morsey is investment team manager and a CFP at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome back to you. Hi, Danny. First one is from James. This question is for Sarah. My year-end bonus needs to be invested in the market. Others have suggested DCAing. Others say invest now to buy quality companies that have growth potential. If I DCA over many months, I won't be buying on sale. First off, could you explain what DCA is? Well, DCA is dollar cost averaging. And your question really depends on what you're trying to avoid, as Matt would say, and what your time frame is, and frankly, the dollar amount. But just given the current market and the pullback that we've had, I would suggest investing half of your bonus now and then spread the other half out maybe over the next three months. That way, if the market goes up, you have some invested. And if it goes lower, you still have that dry powder to add to the account. But it is important to have that disciplined strategy. And it's really hard when the market pulls back that folks tend to not want to put money in the market because they're worried it's going to go lower. So you need to be disciplined and keep that strategy in play. And nobody can pick the absolute bottom. But if you can get close and invest around the bottom, you will be well rewarded. Yeah, and I always like to go back to the saying, time in the market versus trying to time the market. Mathematically, studies would show that you just want to go all in at once, that it's going to provide the best returns over time. However, you do sometimes want to avoid that regret that you might have of putting money in and have seen the market go down right away afterwards, which you can't predict or, or time it yourself anyways. So if you feel more comfortable with spreading that out, then certainly having a plan and sticking to it is really important. But mathematics would say that you should just put it in today and, and let it go. Question from Jake. What are your thoughts on active versus passive investing? Is there a place for both? Yeah, there certainly is. And that's a lot of what we do here at Annex is try to blend those two approaches together. Active generally would mean that you have a portfolio manager trying to beat a specific index. Passive means you just buy the index itself. I think there's kind of a middle ground on that as well, too, that you could use an, a passive strategy, but in an active way, because it's always an active decision, no matter which one you use. So maybe you like a certain segment of the market, whether it's energy or maybe dividend payers, you could find an index in those specific areas, which is a passive product or passive mutual fund or ETF, but it's an active decision to do that. So to me, that's kind of a hybrid, but ultimately you kind of want to blend those things together to achieve your goals. 
Ask Annex. Next question is from Tate. Can you help me understand how to manage sequence of returns risk during retirement? Yeah, so that kind of goes a little bit to that timing of the market standpoint from I'm going to retire today and now I don't have those earnings anymore to add contributions in. So I'm worried that the market's going to pull back and take away that retirement savings from me. What we have to remember is that retirement is often a very long time period. For many people, it's multiple decades. So you have a really long time horizon, probably longer than you think. Second thing, what we look at from an investment standpoint, I know we work really closely with our wealth managers and the financial planning team is how are you going to control your cash flow during that time period? Do you have enough in cash to cover your next few months expenses? Do you have enough of fixed income that the market pulls back that you could pull from that instead of having to pull from equities that, that pull down? A lot of people refer to that as like a bucket strategy type approach, but we try to construct portfolios to be able to weather those storms so that you don't necessarily need to sell when things are down. Yeah, and when we construct the financial plan, we do what's called a Monte Carlo simulation. So we retire you a thousand different times with a thousand different scenarios. And it really focuses on that sequence of returns and the different sequences of returns. So we are basically preparing you for the best of times, the worst of times, and somewhere in the middle. I like that. Last question I ask Annex is anonymous. How does Annex incorporate tax-efficient strategies into retirement planning for high net worth clients? Well, every client situation is unique, but the goal is really to focus on the strategies that minimize taxes. For example, the asset location, when we talk about those three buckets, tax-efficient distribution strategies from the portfolio, leveraging that Roth IRA through Roth conversions or backdoor Roths, tax-free charitable giving with the qualified charitable distributions, using those tax-exempt municipal bonds when appropriate. And the nice thing is, at Annex, we have credentialed, experienced tax planners on staff at Annex, and we do all our own tax planning in-house. Isn't it nice when a tax question comes up, we can just walk down the hall? Yeah, it's great. It's so nice. It's such an advantage to have them right in-house. Right. And the same thing with the investment team that Matt is a member of. Mm -hmm. If something comes up, somebody has a specific question. Matt, I've seen you actually in client meetings answering questions. Yeah, I'm usually in a couple a week, which is, is an awful lot of fun for me to be able to go in and help people directly. But it really does increase that amount of communication that we have with our wealth managers to make sure that we're doing the right thing for that client and for that unique experience that that client needs as well, too. And while we're here, let's put a little plug in for the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. You're a big part of that as well. That's every Monday, and you and other members from the team get together and talk about what's going on in the market that week. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things of the week. We get together as a team to plan out what we want to say, how we want to do that. Yeah, we go through strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats of the market. It's a lot of fun for us to do as a team, and we've gotten great feedback on it so far from clients. And, and wealth managers alike. And what's nice, it's a week ahead. It's looking ahead. And then we have that end of the week, week in review. So it's a very nice compliment yeah, for the end I, of the week show. It kind of bookends, yep. Mm-hmm. Investment, retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning is a fee-only fiduciary. Know the difference? Our website is AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Matt Morrissey, CFP, Investment Team Manager, thanks. Thank you. Sarah Kyle, Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management, thank you. My pleasure. What is financial incompatibility? It's a real thing. We're going to talk about it next after a break on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management? How about this for a headline? Most couples are, quote, financially incompatible. We're going to dig into this and who better to talk about it is Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning Development, CFP, CDFA, and Wealth Manager at Annex. Hey, welcome back. Hi, Danny. So I spotted this article, asked you if you wanted to talk about it, and it was a quick yes. And this is coming up more frequently. 
It is. So studies are showing, not surprisingly, that disagreements about money are one of the most common sources of conflict in romantic relationships. So here's the deal. A new survey finds 64% of couples admit to being financially incompatible with their partners with different philosophies about spending, saving, and investing money. So again, this is true, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, one reason for this is that people often have different attitudes and values when it comes to money. For example, one person may prioritize saving for the future and the other wants to spend money now, right? Differences in income, debt, spending habits can also create tensions, disagreements, and obviously that doesn't necessarily mean the relationship is doomed. It's possible for people to work through their differences financially and develop a plan that works for both of them. This may involve compromising on certain spending habits, however, seeking the help of a financial planner, and sometimes finding creative solutions to resolve those differences and figure out a saving and spending plan. A lot of it is dependent upon really open and honest communication and just the willingness to work together toward these common goals. You know, some of this actually leads people to commit what is called financial infidelity, like hiding purchases from their partner. In one survey, 45% of coupled adults admit they're guilty. One in five couples identifies money as their greatest relationship challenge. It's according to the most recent couples and money survey by Fidelity. Yeah, you know, I've seen this in the past also. I taught budgeting at a local college and I would see people people that were very successful that would come and say, I've got this difference in my spending habit. And guess what? I've been hiding this debt and it's just accelerating. And, you know, again, this is all about one situation when we talk about financial infidelity, where one partner in the relationship is being dishonest about their financial actions or decisions. And it can start very innocently, but usually it's around hiding purchases. And maybe they think just for the time being or being dishonest about income income and debt especially or maybe opening a secret bank account or credit card you know it can lead all the way up to committing fraud when one partner is keeping financial secrets it leads to feelings of betrayal anger resentment and you know feeling compromised for the financial security of the couple Let's talk about the stages of life and how financial incompatibility happens. First is if you're newly partnered or married, and I'm going to guess if a newly married couple, if they were raised in different economic backgrounds. Yeah, you know, it's all been ingrained with us by the time we're five, kind of our feelings about money. So it's really important to start with the basics, I think. Like, what was money like in the household where you grew up? And how did that relate to how you're handling your finances previous to the relationship? Now, what are you comfortable handling as a part of a couple now? You know, I mean, would you rather be the investment person? Are you comfortable with the budgeting? Are you taking advantage of your work retirement plan, for example? You know, I work with several couples who have a regularly, and we're talking maybe once, twice a month, kind of a a date, a financial date to talk through where they are with maybe spending down debts and their savings. Financial incompatibility and financial infidelity, how to avoid it. Next group. Married for several years. You know, more than 20% of marriages that end in divorce last around 10 years. And usually it's that lack of communication on many fronts that ends up with them splitting. However, as life becomes more complex, money decisions and discussions made together might be less frequent. So having some sort of financial autonomy, I believe, having your own checking account, for example, and then you discuss like limiting spending to what makes sense as a couple. You know, you you, you kind of say like, Danny, if we were married, say, yeah, you know what, if we're going to spend over 1200 bucks on something, let's talk about it first, right? So having some sort of level, but this does give you a little bit of that financial autonomy. I can spend money on your birthday gift. You don't have to know how much I spend, right? Or I can go on the weekend, get away 
away with the girls and it's okay. You may spend $1,100 on my gift. Then you wouldn't have to tell me. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Deanne Phillips is here talking about the slippery slope of financial incompatibility or worse, financial infidelity. Couples near or in retirement, how does that work? So there are two current issues that studies are saying create the most friction, saving enough and making it last through retirement, and then the managing and paying down of debt in retirement. More and more couples are entering retirement with mortgage debt, and that's not necessarily always a bad thing. So this is really where financial planning can assist you. There is such a thing as smart debt, you know, if the interest rate is low enough, and that's usually not the case with consumer or credit card debt, by the way, because, you know, th- those rates are pretty, pretty high. Regarding saving enough, because we're humans, we tend to focus on the most recent market moves or events. So if someone's looking to retire now, rather than focusing on the market being down last year, look to your financial plan and see how it works with your cash flow, where your income replacement retirement you know, paycheck will come from, from your resources, and how successful is your plan over time. There are tax planning strategies, cash flow, distribution strategies. These all help you just as much as having a diversified portfolio toward retirement reaching your retirement goals. So schedule that money date with your significant other and a planner and get going. Deanne Phillips has a lot of titles, but marriage counselor is not one, but (laughs) we can help folks head to our website, AnnexWealth.com. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. It's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, Saturday, February 25th. More to come. Stick around. Quick break. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. We're back. Website AnnexWealth.com. While you're there, sign up for the Axiom. That's our e-newsletter. Comes to your inbox every single Sunday, packed full of all kinds of information. I'm Mark Beck, Chief Growth Officer at Annex Wealth Management, now joined by Brandon Lehman, who's our Director of Branch Development. Brandon, conversation I wanted to have with you comes out of a meeting I had this past week where we were talking about investment strategies and philosophies, and it was sort of hearkening back to the days of the old, and I thought, this is a really good conversation to bring back around. You know, a long time ago, you had the opportunity to invest in mutual funds, and along came this idea of an indexed mutual fund, and that created this divide among people. There were those people who thought we should index everything because over time you would have a hard time for an active manager to outperform the index, and there were other people who thought the talent of the manager was important, and so you could have an active manager, but it was one or the other. And we got stuck kind of in this conversation when I was doing was spending some time demonstrating how to leverage the characteristics of each of those components into a well-balanced portfolio and how that has progressed so much from those old days of one or the other. So let's talk about that a little bit. First of all, indexed mutual fund. The easiest concept, people know the S&P 500. So you bought a mutual fund, it was indexed to the S&P 500, so you knew the list you were going to get. And then out of that was born this idea of the exchange-traded fund. So more common now to see people do that with an exchange-traded fund rather than an indexed mutual fund. But beyond that comes the idea of building a proper asset allocation and then selecting the best investment tool based on what you're trying to accomplish in each space within the asset allocation. Yeah, so you're looking at the opportunity to build maybe a core. So you you talk active. Well, maybe the active is built around a core of active funds. What we mean by that is funds that can offer 
alpha or an opportunity to outperform in their given segments, maybe it's international, maybe it's emerging, the bond market, for instance, because those are areas that take a lot of work, are tend to be inefficient, right? So when we talk about inefficiencies in the market, it's how much data is being fed to the investment team to be able to find it. So you look for maybe an active manager there, but to your point, you don't always just have to have that. What about if you wrap around the outside for, let's say, tactical? You want an overexposure to healthcare, is uh, an, an example. Well, you can go get a healthcare ETF, which is passive, following just the healthcare companies in an index, and wrap that around your solution or your core, which I think is important because folks, again, they get in that mindset, you have one or the other, and that's it. And that's just not the case. Yeah, I agree with that. And you know, I think it's a progression of those tools also, where when the index fund was first born, they were all these really broad-based indexes, and you just bought you know, a U.S. stock index. And now, that might be a core component of your portfolio. You get really low cost of operation of that particular investment vehicle. You get very broad diversification. This is your exposure to a particular asset class. But then you might go to a next layer up, where you spend some time in research. This is where our team really shines. Find an active manager that works in a certain space, whether it's a certain strategy, whether it's quantitatively driven, whether it's built on a consistent rebalance model, something where you believe you're going to get some either risk dynamics or performance dynamics that are different than the index. This is offering additional diversification in the portfolio. Well, and that's where the team is so important, right? Because they're sitting there, they're doing that research. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to think about it. But the team goes, okay, where is the advantage, the the strategic advantage by utilizing this fund? What do they bring to the table? Sometimes it's actually the person, right? And I've heard Derek say this many times over the years that I've worked here that we're looking at the fund manager themselves. What is their thought process? What type of team has that manager built around themselves as well? Because it comes back to that team. So that's an area where it is really important to have somebody doing that research for you because it's hard to do that by yourself. And at Annex, our investment team is great because not only do we have a nice large team, but they have their area where they tend to specialize as well. So, you know, Blaine or Jason or Ken or Trevor can come with an idea and present that and say, this is what we see here, combine it with this other opportunity here. One can be passive, one can be active, but it's looking at all the opportunities. And that's what's so important about having the help and the guidance of a team. And they take that then and test it within the portfolio. What does it do from a risk perspective? What does it do, you know, to the long-term asset allocation dynamics? You know, what would be the trigger points to add or subtract this type of exposure? You know, that's the tactical overlay that we think is so important. On the very generic level, you can put your money to a target date fund, set it and forget it. Or can we engage in an active investment strategy where we're leveraging both of those components proactively? That's Brandon Lehman. He's Director of Branch Development at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ.